Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here for another week. Chris, my man, how are you? I'm doing very well. How uh, how are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I had uh, we're recording the day before the uh, before Seventh Wonders Mercy Falls episode drops. It's been a very uh, fun weekend. I was out fishing yesterday, so I'm a little tired, but um, all in all, it was a really good weekend and uh, had the chance to listen to a couple of new things this week, which I wanted to definitely make mention of. The first was maybe the biggest surprise for me of the year, and that is the new Lock Vostick album. This is kind of the brainchild of Teddy Moeller, who was the guitar player and mastermind for an old 90s progressive metal band called Myodome. Since uh, leaving Myodome, he started Lock Vostick, and he actually recorded and actually sang on the first seven Lock Vostick albums. I don't know that they've actually hit their peak in terms of popularity or whatever, but the new album is getting great, great reviews. And I have to be honest with you, it is by far my biggest surprise, I guess, of the year. The album is called Opus Ferox, The Great Escape. And um, this album just kicks ass. It reminds me a lot of like Pyramids and and the album that they came out with last year, which I just thought was like heads and shoulders above um, a lot of the stuff that they had done earlier on, even though they have such a nice catalog. But man, this is really good stuff. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to the to the new Lock Bostic stuff. Uh, I heard the uh, I heard one song. I don't know if it was the one you recommended, but um, uh, it's it's good. It's um, very uh, extreme, I guess, um, <laughs> compared to what I'm used to listening to. But you but know, the good vocalist, stuff. They, they have a new vocalist, as I mentioned. He just does a really good job of kind of putting it all together it's it's they're 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 a very good band and i think that the older stuff is even heavier and a little more extreme than the newer album i I found the new one to be a little more accessible but i really enjoyed it so i I wanted to make mention of that and then uh the second album that i really thought was uh very interesting was a band called arch spire they're a canadian progressive death metal band focusing really on the technical side of things very aggressive, but I, I they came out with a new video this week called The Golden Mouth of Ruin, and it was something different. I don't usually go for the techie stuff. like the, 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 They're almost like robots with how efficient and how crystal clear they sound, but it was really cool. I'll post a video for that song during the week. And then, obviously, I wanted to mention something that you had brought to my attention. Do you want to talk a little bit about The Grandmaster? Yeah, I, um, I, I was surprised that you mentioned a... Uh a Canadian progressive uh, death band, death metal band, because uh, there was a time where um, I thought into eternity was the only one of those. So they, they had uh, cornered that market for a bit, but apparently uh, they're, they're branching out and this uh, art spire came out on top of it, which is really, really good stuff. kind of like, um, it kind of like into eternity, but a little more aggressive and quite frankly, a little more technical, but I, I can definitely see the comparisons there. Um, very, very interesting stuff. And then, of course, you know, I, I, it reminded I, me of uh, when we saw Into Eternity open for every band that played at uh, at BB King's in New York City for a while. And and I just remember them coming out on stage and being like, "We are the premier Canadian progressive death metal band." And I just remember like looking at you and being like, "I think they're the only one." But um, but premier you know, nonetheless. That, but premier nonetheless. Um, so yeah, um, I. I uh, Harkening back to the interview we did with Jens Ludwig of Ed Guy, um, you know, he had hinted about um, working on a new project and it finally uh, came to the light this week. And uh, it's called the project's called The Grandmaster and it features uh, Brazilian vocalist uh, Nando Fernandez. Um, This is the song's called Someday Somehow. It's it's really good. I, I, I liked it a lot. Did you have a chance to, to give it a listen? I did. I actually listened to it a couple of times. Um, I was surprised, that, not not surprised, but it was interesting that Frontiers had picked this up because it was a little more power metal than they're used to putting out on their label, just a touch, which I guess isn't surprising when you have uh, Jens on guitar, but it was uh, really, really good. And I look forward to the rest of the album. Very melodic, very catchy. Nando's a fantastic vocalist. And obviously when you have Jens writing songs, it's probably going to be pretty uh, catchy stuff. Yeah. Also, um, uh, the band Leverage uh, released a new single. They have an album coming out later this year called Above the Beyond, and they released a single for the song Emperor. And if you're a fan of Leverage, uh, I I enjoy them quite a bit. Just really catchy, melodic power metal. Um, I definitely recommend uh, giving their new single a listen. I enjoyed that 
a lot as well. I, that I haven't heard. I'm going to check it out once we're done. But I think it is a nice segue because we go from melodic, catchy power metal to melodic, catchy prog metal. Uh, and that's what we're here to talk about today, which is Seventh Wonders Mercy Falls, which was your choice. Uh, the album was released September 12th, 2008. Uh, I have a nice story as to how I first heard the album, but before I get there, why don't you tell everyone about how you first kind of came in contact with these guys and how this album got on your radar? Uh, you. Yeah, that's <laughs> well, well said. Well said. You, you uh, yeah, you, I remember you just saying, um, you have to listen to this album. It's like, I had never even heard of the band before. And, and, and you were just like, Oh my God, this album is like incredible. It's this incredible like story, but this, um, I don't think you had a lot to say about the acting chops of some of the voice actors, but, um, I just, you were saying like, this is like, um, one of the greatest like progressive metal albums to basically come out of, of nowhere. The band had only released two albums prior to this. And I don't know that, I don't know if you were familiar with them prior to this. I know I was not. And uh, I think you had brought them to my attention shortly before we uh, they played their first U.S. show at Prague Power USA, which we I was uh, very lucky enough to have attended, as well as um, all of their subsequent uh, concerts that have been at Prague Power USA. We've seen them three times now. Um, but, yeah, I, I remember being very taken uh, by this album the first time I heard it, I was very, very impressed. And, and you know how, how with with me, like prog metal can be very hit or miss, but this was definitely the the style that I enjoy a lot due to the, the melodic nature of it. And I, I've become quite a big fan of the band and have really enjoyed everything that they've released since then. And then even diving back into um, some of their stuff prior. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was familiar with the band before Mercy Falls came out. I had first heard them about a year or two prior um, during their Waiting in the Wings album period or what have you. And although I don't think it's as balanced as Mercy Falls, there were a couple of songs on that album, Taint the Sky and Banish the Wicked being two of them that just really stood out to me. So I remember not even knowing that Seventh Wonder was coming out with a new album, um, but it was September 12th. I had gotten a call earlier in the day because I had plans to go see Riverside, the Polish band, uh, in concert that night. So what I wound up doing is going to New Jersey with a buddy of mine, going to see Riverside. And he said to me that Ken Golden from the, um, from the Laser's Edge would be at the show. And he had copies of the new Seventh Wonder album that had come out earlier that day. I said, do me a favor. Tell Ken, put a, put a copy aside for me. I want, I want this album. Uh, just because I was kind of caught up in some of those songs off the prior release. So I bought the album from Ken. I put it on in the car on the way home and I could not believe my ears right away just because I was, I, I was taken back at the step up in terms of production and songwriting abilities. Uh, it was really, really nice to hear. Um, and that was kind of my first exposure. I, you know, again, I knew some of the older stuff, but this was my first real, real exposure to, to the, the whole, you know, to a full album of theirs. And uh, they just hit it out of the park with this one, as far as I'm concerned. Is it a perfect album? I think you're going to see the answer to that is no, uh, but it doesn't take away from the fact that it's an absolute masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, if it's not perfect, it's it's pretty darn close. Um, the, just, I, I think that this past week, really getting, like, getting back and listening to this album again, I think I've... I've gained an even larger appreciation for it than I had going into it, which was already pretty high. So, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, this is, this is a good one. I, I'm glad that, um, it kind of popped into my head last week when I was, it was time to, to choose a, another album to go to. And this was, I guess, kind of an easy one just because we, we know we both like it and have a lot to say about it, but I also thought that it really deserved, um, really deserve to be discussed um, because it really is a, a, an all-time great. And, and uh, I, I also wanted to throw um, throw in the song The Edge of My Blade as one of my favorite songs from their previous album, Waiting in the Wings. Um, I, I had been uh, just playing that right before, like just popping it on just before listening to Mercy Falls just to kind of segue into it. But um, yeah, the band was... Uh, the same band members from Waiting in the Wings and um, 
the previous album become uh was also the same band different vocalist uh tommy karavik um was preceded by a guy who's um who's uh, Bosnian last name I'm probably going to butcher, but Andy uh, Kralyaka, something to that effect. But um, he was the vocalist. He had a very different vocal style than what Tommy would come on to do. Um, you know, he's also the current vocalist for um, Aeon Zen, and uh, I believe he's the singer for uh, Thororod, which is a, a really underrated, really good power metal band. Um, so he's still out there kicking. Um, he was also in a band called Silent Fall, but um, the band uh, outside of him remained the same for the, the following two albums and, and coming into, you know, Mercy Falls. Um, this would be, you know, Tommy Karavik's second album with the band. And he, I think this really brought, um, brought the attention of, of him as a vocalist to a lot of people who weren't familiar with him because, you know, he'd go on to become a very well-known singer, um, you know, now being the singer, not just for Seventh Wonder, but for Camelot as well. Yeah. Andy's got a very cool voice and, and he's kind of an underrated vocalist in, in many regards. I happen to absolutely love his vocals on the last Thororod album called Coast of Gold, which came out in 2018. I never really thought he fit with the first seventh wonder album i just didn't it wasn't a hit for me it was like the pieces were there but for some reason when you put it together it just never really resonated with me i really uh, like the the song blinding my eyes from that first seventh wonder album i i don't know that anything else really sticks out to me though yeah it, it just it, it was a it was a good recipe i didn't think it was a great recipe obviously as you mentioned tommy joins the fold in, in for the next album uh, and and that's when really kind of hit their stride but this uh, mercy falls is really i think what put them on a on the map as a band um just jumping ahead a little bit it was this album that which would kind of catapult them into shows at both prog power usa prog power europe full tours that they were able to do as a result of the success of this album. And I, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't think that there's a Tommy Karavik in Camelot. If there's not a seventh wonder mercy falls, I really don't because he just wasn't on enough radar until this, till this album came out in 2008. Yeah. I mean, you can kind of put the pieces together where, um, you know, uh, mercy falls is released to very high regard. Um, Seventh Wonder gets booked at Prague Power USA, and then um, Camelot is performing at the same festival, and they are without a singer. And Tommy comes out and sings uh, "Eden Echo" with the band, and it turns out, you know, jokingly that the, they refer to it as his uh, his audition um, because that was kind of a, a little bit of a taste of what would what would be to come. And uh, a few years later, when Camelot would, would return to that center stage stage um for prog power um they did mention that 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 was the stage where tommy had sang with the band for the very first time so um i think that what you say is most definitely true and, and you can really just put the pieces together and and um as you could see the timeline brings it right brings him right to camelot through through the release of this album and and uh seventh wonder and camelot sharing the stage at the same festival yeah, and ultimately he would go on to release uh, three albums with Camelot. I'm sure that they're probably in the studio recording a fourth. Um, and, and obviously many, many successful tours. I think you could make the argument that Camelot is maybe more popular now than ever before, which is uh, a debate for another day, I'm sure, because you know I think we both have kind of strong opinions on the newer Camelot material vis-a-vis you know, the stuff that we heard when we were kids. But that's a, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. You know they they come they come forward with this Mercy Falls album in two thousand and eight and and it just feels like everybody in the prog circles were like this was a step up in production a step up in songwriting and it really highlights just the musical ability of all of these guys not least of which um, Andreas Blomquist's guitar uh, bass guitar on this album is just like second to none I mean it's it's very reminiscent of like a young John Young in in, in Dream Theater just in the way that he uh, you know it just almost takes lead on a number of these songs, even though he's obviously a little bit more in the background, but it's just, it's very much bass guitar driven, which is not, not terribly surprising because he obviously produced the album and, and wrote the songs for it, or at least most of them. Yeah. His, his bass parts are very prominent and, and rightfully so. Um, I mean, this is a very 
talented band all, all around. Uh, the keyboards are a really big part of the the whole experience, and um, you know Tommy's vocals are fantastic. Uh, everybody, I mean, just to fill out the um, the the roster, uh, you have Andreas uh, Soderin on keyboard, Johan Liefendahl on guitars, Andreas Blomquist, like you mentioned, on bass, and Johnny Sandin on the drums. And this has been, I'm fairly certain that's still um, the lineup uh, for seventh wonder uh, to, to this day. Um, I will double check and, um, Oh, they have a different drummer. Now, Stefan Norgren is their current drummer. But um, other than that, the band's pretty much stayed the same since their, their second album and uh, all real talented musicians. Um, they don't, I mean, for whatever reason, and I'm sure Tommy being in Camelot has a lot to do with it. They don't play a ton of live shows, but you know, like I said, we've seen them three times and they're really, really technically proficient for a live band that does not t- tour extensively. Yeah. And you know, I don't know that they have the time to play together as much as they may have liked, but it, they certainly couldn't hold Tommy back when Camelot came calling. Um, but they, you know, th- these, these songs are so complex. It's, it's kind of a minor miracle that they're able to pull it off live. Um, and, and just going back to that first time we saw them, um, you know, I, I think everyone has their favorites, but they did cover a lot of the Mercy Falls material. They would ultimately come back to Atlanta and play all of the album in 2014 and release it on DVD, uh, which was, you know, uh, a very, very famous show in the prog circles, if you will, because uh, that, that seemed to get a lot of eyeballs on them. Uh, and I don't think that we've mentioned the fact that this is a concept album, clearly a concept album. Uh, you, you alluded to the voice actors uh, earlier, and, and I'll simply say that it actually takes a little something away from what's otherwise a perfect disc. Um, the, the voice acting leaves quite a bit to be desired. I, I think that that's fair. But just in, in short, I think it's worth mentioning just a little bit of this story. The, the album starts with, with one of multiple introductory tracks. It's called uh, A New Beginning. And you basically hear uh, a crash and you hear the sirens of, of what sound like police and an ambulance resp- responding to the scene of an accident, of, of, a, of a car accident. And uh, he's ta- the, the, the main character is taken to the hospital. He's in a coma. And, um, you know, he, he's, he's in the he's in a coma for a number of years and you already know that something kind of dark is going on underneath the surface here. And you don't really know what that is until much later in the album, but the album focuses on this main character who's in this coma like dream state where he visits a town called mercy falls. And, and from there um, you hear, you know, the, the, the different interplay between him and his son, him and his wife. And that basically is the, the premise of the whole story without giving away too many of the details. Uh, when I first heard the album on my way home from that Riverside concert, uh, A New Beginning and There and Back, which is kind of like the first musical track on the album, for a second I thought that they had just ditched the vocals completely and were going to an instrumental album because the vocals don't kick in until the middle of the third song. Yes. Um, yeah, so, yeah, like you said, it, the, the first two tracks really just kind of set the stage for the, you know, the first track for the story and the second track the set the stage musically um, just to get things kind of started. And, and, yeah, so you have this kind of back and forth between the story of, of him being in this dream state of Mercy Falls and then on the other side is him in the real world in this coma with his, you know, his father and his son and his wife and, and the, you know, the doctor kind of, uh, you know, looking over him and, and, um, you know, hoping that there's something that they could do to get him to snap out of this coma. And, um, you know, then the story, you know, proceeds on about how they, they're going to do this medical procedure. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go through the album, but yeah, this kind of gets the ball rolling. And then, you know, Welcome to Mercy Falls, the third track is kind of, um, this is where I think the, uh, the story begins of, of him being in this world, this world of Mercy Falls. And, and this is like the first, I think, real, real rocker kind of song, um, like first song with vocals in it. Um, this is one of my favorite songs on the album. I love when they play this live. Um, this, this just really kicks things into, into a high gear and, and really lets you know, like what you have to look forward to on the rest of this album. Yeah. And I think just a couple of things that hit you right away with, with mercy falls, the, 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 the title track, number one, impeccable production. I mean, absolutely impeccable production. And I'm not terribly surprised. I know the band 
you know, kind of produced the album. They had help. Tommy Hansen obviously mixed and mastered the album and Daniel Flores uh, helped with the engineering and recording of the album. You may remember Daniel Flores from A Mind's Eye and other prog acts from like the late 90s and early 2000s. Just a well-known and highly regarded engineer. And all of his albums with, with the stuff that he was on always sounded great. So when I found out that he was on this particular album, I wasn't surprised at why their sound had upgraded over the years and, and obviously took a, a big leap with this album. He is one of the most underrated uh, talents out there in terms of getting music into a, into, into a form where people can really just digest the entire uh panoply of, of sounds that are on a particular album. I think that's probably the best way I would say it. And, and what you also know from this track is it's, it's Tommy's vocals are like smooth as silk, right? Like right off the bat, you like, it's just different. He, I don't think he's the most powerful vocalist. I don't think you're, you're ever going to get him, uh, over the top of music and have him like just resonating just because of his power. But in terms of just the clear sonic sound quality, it doesn't get any smoother uh, for my money. I think he's just a perfect vocalist for this type of music. And, and you know, I got to be honest with you. Maybe that's what part of the reason I don't love his style in Camelot, just because they want, they want him to sing more like Roy Khan did on those early Camelot albums. And it doesn't really give him the chance to shine that he does on an album like Mercy Falls. Yeah, I, I could not have uh, said that better myself. Um, I don't think I would have come up, been able to come up with a, with the canopy. That was that's a good, strong word. Well done. Yeah, thank um, you, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, it, it's in a lot of ways, it's he's like almost like a completely different singer um, in these two bands that he's in, and it's kind of cool to kind of hear him do both uh, and do them both so well. Um, so yeah. Uh, well said. Um, I, I think that the next track, "Unbreakable," is another another highlight on the album. It's a, again another one of my favorite tracks, and again, it's um, it just comes in with this like drum solo, and um, then go, you know goes on to keyboards. And, and Andreas has such a um, a distinct keyboard sound that really. Um, it really becomes like its own kind of character musically throughout the album. Um, and it, it's, I just love how distinct it is. And it's really on, on display at the beginning of this track. And this is just another uh, really good song, really, um, really fantastic vocals. One of Tommy's best performances on the album, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. I think that Welcome to Mercy Falls is a good track. I think Unbreakable is a great, great, great track. Uh, one of my favorite parts is towards the end, uh, there's a bass solo just over the keys and, and, um, it's kind of in the middle of, 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 um, Tommy's vocal solo on the track. It, the way that those three things kind of blend together is for me, one of the best moments on the entire album. And earlier on, it has that kind of galloping sound that we've talked about with other albums where it's really, you kind of like, you have this gallop that leads into the, this, this grandiose chorus. If you weren't a fan of the first two tracks because they were kind of just setting up the story uh, and Mercy Falls is kind of paints the picture for what's about to come. By this point, I think the listener, at least myself, now I'm intrigued because this track really is one of my favorites on the album. And I, I think that um, I, I think that if you've never heard uh, the band, you could do a lot worse than hearing Unbreakable for the first, you know, for the first uh, entry point to the album and to the band. Yeah, I believe they played this live at their first um, appearance at Prague Power, and it was very impressive. Um, the solo parts are really strong towards the end of the song, and then it goes into this kind of uh, quieter part where Tommy can really shine as a as a vocalist. But um, all, all like this song has a lot of different elements into it that in it that all work, and and um, just a really uh, really excellent song. One of yeah. my favorites. And then and then all of a sudden we take a step back and we go into the next track, which is Tears for a Father. This was this close to being my track of the week, and I'm not gonna choose it for one reason. It is a phenomenal, like goosebump inducing ballad, uh, where it's basically the son talking about his dad, who's you know, obviously now in the coma. The reason I don't want to have it as my track of the week is because I want to post a separate live version of this track when they played it at Prague Power in 2014. It is a 
basically an acoustic guitar with Tommy's Karavik's vocals on top of it. And that's it. And for two minutes, it paints this story of like this young kid who's basically asking his dad not to tell on him because he's done something wrong. And although that doesn't sound maybe awe-inspiring, I assure you, uh, maybe it's just as a parent, it gives me chills when I hear this song. And when I got to hear it live in Atlanta, uh, you know, in 2014, when they were recording this for a DVD, the entire crowd sings the entire outro to the song. And I can, every time I watch it, I literally have like the hairs on my arms stick up just because of how emotional this song is. So I'm just going to take the liberty of posting the live version of that and, and deferring my song of the week to something else. I, um, I remember the, the, the first time they played at Prague power and they, um, they played this song and um, the, the, Tommy commanded, just had the whole crowd like eating out of the palm of his hand. Like he, uh, I, it was really um, incredible. Just, seeing him sing the song and then you know like you said he he would sing it again um when they performed the entire album but um he was it was so well received that when seventh wonder did their acoustic set the very next day which was kind of like a uh, an exclusive um acoustic set one of the earlier ones that i think they had at prog power um he opened up with doing this, the song again, I think just because he knew how well received it was and everybody was very thrilled to, um, to get to hear it again. Um, yeah. Yeah. I actually forgot about that. You're right. That acoustic show was phenomenal. Um, and, and for them to basically open it with this track, it, it's a testament to how, I guess, well received it was. It's just, it is just an emotional two minute ride. And I just absolutely love the track. It's one of my favorite ballads by anyone. That's how good the song is. Yeah, um, the this the story um, I think even adds to it even more about this you know about this kid who's lamenting about you know his father's in a coma, his mother's kind of drinking to to ease the pain, and and you know he's the kid's kind of lost and and talking to his father who's you know in a coma, and it's and just but I, I mean Tommy just the way he performs it really just brings it brings it to life um so yeah i'm glad that you uh mentioned that and um you know if if anyone out there hasn't hasn't seen or heard the that live version it's it will you know definitely check it out when we post it later on in the week yeah and then it's kind of a nice contrast because unbreakable is one of like i said one of those perfect tracks it leads into this again a perfect ballad and then it goes right back into another more upbeat track in a day away and, and and just in my notes i wrote down these are three gems in a row you literally have three in my opinion perfect tracks in a row it's upbeat with these great like technical melodic passages and and what i love most about the uh, a day away is i i just find the lyrical content and the imagery that kind of the band is trying to get out in this track it's just absolutely on point and it just kind of like you literally have three tracks in a row that are clear tens out of tens on, on an album that has a lot of great, great tracks, but three in a row that are just home runs for me. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely uh, the, I think the, the piano parts, they, they actually sound less like synthesized and more like an actual piano. And, and I think that adds a nice flavor um, to the song, but uh, yeah, I mean the song at this point in the, in the, the album is just, you know, chugging along on all cylinders and, and everything is just really, um, you, you've already gone through, you know, the, this, a bunch of ups and downs, like emotionally. And, and, um, it's this, this is kind of picking things up again after that, you know, very emotional, um, ballad tears for a father. So, uh, this was definitely one of those songs that I think for me was overshadowed by some of the, the other big, the, some of the other bigger songs like Unbreakable, but um, you know, getting back to listening to it again, you, you know, you're you're right on that. It's a really very strong song, and um, it, is this it, one of the tracks makes... that kind of got buried for you it, it, on the album? And I know that's something we kind of discussed off the air. Usually, we don't talk about the albums, but you had mentioned that a couple of the tracks kind of got buried for you, and, and maybe that's a testament to the strength of the other tracks. But was this one of them? Yeah, I, and I think too, a lot of it was. When after I saw them play at Prague Power, I, I had really replayed all the songs that they played 
at the festival, like over and over. I made a, a playlist actually. And, um, I remember oddly enough, um, I was playing Final Fantasy 12, which is a game that I'm playing again right now. Um, and there was a, a part in early in the game where I was, um, just fighting skeletons, just grinding for levels. And I would just pop that playlist on and just like run around uh, and, you know, killing skeletons and, and <laughs> building levels. And, and I would listen to this, this playlist and it, you know, the, the they didn't play a ton of songs cause they had a short set, but they played unbreakable hide and seek tears for a father, alley cat, which had just alley cat was just released as a, a single on YouTube, like two weeks before. And, and everybody in the crowd knew all the words, which the band was <laughs> amazed by. I thought that was a cool moment. Yeah, um, for sure. And then they also played uh, Not an Angel, Welcome to Mercy Falls, Taint the Sky, and then they finished off with the Black Parade. So th- this eight-track playlist, I would just loop pretty much And um, while I was uh, you know, playing this video game. And um, so those were the songs that would just continue to grow in in like my mind as the songs I really loved. And so a song like a day away kind of got away. Um, and you know, like I'll mention some of the other tracks as we get to them, but, um, this, yeah, uh, this re-listening has been giving me a chance to really appreciate those songs, um, a lot a, a, more than I had done initially. Do you, what do you think of the next track, which is Tears for, uh, Tears for a Son? It's kind of a nice contrast piece to the, to the former ballad we had mentioned, Tears for a Father. What do you think about that one? Uh, it, it's not, I don't think it's quite as emotional. Um, but it, it's again, it's kind of that same thing where it's a, almost like this mellow segue. And, and this is actually the, the man who's in the coma. This is his father. Um, you know, kind of singing to him and, and like, you know, how, he, you know, I can't believe that, you know, I'm alive and I have to sit here and watch my, you know, son be in this coma. And so it's a, it's kind of a, another emotional track from a different point of view. Whereas the first, you know, tears for a father was, was the point of view of the son. And now uh, tears for a son is from the point of view of the, the boy's grandfather or the, or the man's father. Um, but for me, this song has always been, kind of the the lead-in for uh paradise which is another one of the i think one of the best songs in the album and i remember you uh specifically choosing this song when you were telling me about this album years ago and just saying like if you're gonna listen to one song listen to this song the song is um unbelievable and i was so disappointed that they didn't play it um when they came to Prague power that first time. So I was so excited to actually get to hear it live when they came back and played the full album. But this is definitely one of the strongest songs on the album. Yeah. For me, tears for a son is not quite as, as emotional (laughs) as tears for a father. It's, it's okay. The spoken word parts where they start talking about the blood cells and stuff like that really kind of takes me out of the moment just because the voice acting is not, not, not so good. An enjoyable ballad, just, I, when when you have tears for a father, which again is one of my favorite of all time, this is not my favorite, but certainly good. What's interesting though is here it's just the vocals and the keys as opposed to the vocal and the acoustic guitar. It's kind of a nice contrast in that regard. But then you get to Paradise, and I was so bummed that they did not play this the first time we saw them. Um, this to me, I will make it my track of the week. I think it is a perfect prog metal song, and and quite frankly, very underrated for, for this album. Nobody seems to talk about this track, and I'm not quite sure why. I think that you have the... the, the they, they have everything you want. They have key changes, uh, a slightly slower, uh, slightly slower, almost like anthemic type of chorus. And at certain points, you, mean, you almost have Tommy like screaming over the top of his you know melodic vocals throughout the rest. It's a very unique track and kind of just a contrast to what he's doing on the rest of the disc, but it comes together perfectly because it, it never loses that sense of melody, which is uh, kind of a staple for the band. It, it almost reminds me of something that like a circus Maximus would have been doing or a dreamscape would have been doing, you know, maybe five or 10 years earlier. And I just absolutely love this track and it'll be my track of the week because if you haven't heard it, you have to hear it. Never wanting to be part of a world made of empty words. 
Yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, uh, it's de- it was definitely in consideration for my track of the week as well. Um, frankly, half this album was, in all honesty. But um, th- I think that um, you described it really well. I feel like all the all the instruments as well as Tommy's voice are all really showcased in, in the song. Um, the I think the drumming is really strong on this album on the song um the keyboards are awesome the guitar work the bass work everything this is such a great example of what how good of a how good of a band seventh wonder is i mean they're just doing everything right um really great song and and i kind of uh, I, I i had a feeling it would be your track of the week i, I think it's been my track just of because the week i remember you speaking years. so high yeah i just remember you speaking so highly of it when it first came out yeah, I, I definitely love it. Um, the next track, Fall in Line, is kind of an interesting track because it starts off and you think it's going to be another ballad, but then it takes a real sharp turn and picks up uh, quite a bit before slowing down again, and it kind of goes back and forth multiple times. It's one of the more proggier tracks on the discs, and, and believe it or not, when I hear Fall in Line, it reminds me a lot of the material that would come after this album in terms of... Um, stuff that you might hear on The Great Escape or even on Tiara, which came out in 2018, uh, their most recent album. This, this to me, uh, is very much in line with some of those newer tracks, but it's it's certainly a very good song. I can't believe Tiara came out three years ago. She, where does the time go? Yeah, really. Um, yeah, this is a this is a, another, another one of those songs that kind of fell through the cracks for me and um, going back to it and listening to it again, it's just, yeah, I could definitely see it being like, kind of in the style of some of the later the later two albums but um another good song probably not my one of my favorites on the album but um uh there's some really cool vocal lines that tommy does in here um where he kind of does it like in a kind of quick staccato um but uh yeah just another really good song um uh, it's it's just kind of like one one great song after another with um with uh, <laughs> with rough voice acting, <laughs> to, to put it nicely, the the next track is "Break the Silence," and what's really interesting about this track is it actually reminds me a lot of "Breaking the Silence," which is on Queensrÿche Operation Mindcrime. Something about this track is kind of dark, and and really just the way in terms of where it's placed on the album and the way that the song is constructed. Uh, it's it's a really cool track, and you hear get to hear Tommy in a much lower register, which is something that you don't normally hear. Uh, and, and I think that when he shows off his ability to do these other things, it really helps him shine. Whereas he's again kind of in the background on a lot of those new Camelot tracks, where obviously the guitars are kind of like I don't know controlling the album, if you will. It's it's a really unique song. I, I think it would probably be the second proggiest song on the album, if you will. And it just it, it, it again it reminds me of the Queensrÿche song by. Uh, almost the same name. Yeah, um, it starts out very, very ballady. The first like minute or so, like again, you're getting more of um, hearing like kind of Tommy's voice being kind of uh, amplified, and, and um, it kind of goes into more like guitars and keyboards, and kind of picks up to uh, another really strong mid-tempo song and it's a it's a long song I, I believe it's the longest on the album and so there's a lot of different like segments to it and it has a lot of a lot of parts to it there's um a really really cool guitar solo towards the middle of it um some I, I, it's again like it's so they, they they really walk the line between like like these really melodic um, parts as well as like these really technically sound, you know, prog metal solos and stuff like that. I think they do such a great job balancing those two styles in, into one band. And, and this song, I think, is um, another one of those examples of really getting a little, a taste of a little bit of everything that Seventh Wonder has to offer. Um, again, another one of those songs that felt like it, it's so interesting to me because I believe what, what I had said to you earlier in the week was that like, there were songs on this album that no matter how many times I listened to them, it felt like I was listening to them for the first time. Um, and, and it wasn't that I disliked them. It just, for whatever reason, they just would never stick into my memory. And I think I finally uh, broke that, um, whatever that streak this week by kind of really like concentrating on, on some of these songs that I wasn't as 
remembering of, even though I'd listened to the album so many times. Um, yeah, it's I, interesting I just because I know you love the album, but when you said that to me, that some of the songs just weren't like, I don't want to say sticking, but like took a backseat, if you will, to some of the other tracks. And I have a feeling that hide and seek is going to be one of them. I, I just, I, uh, I was surprised to hear that because for me, I can really only say that about one track and, and we'll get there. To me, Destiny Calls was always my forgotten track on this album. Not that it's a bad song. It's actually really, really good. But I just for some reason, um, maybe a little bit harder to digest than some of the others. Uh, but we'll, we'll get there. Why don't you talk a little bit about Hide and Seek? Uh, yeah, this is, again, like this is one of the what I was would consider like one of the, the heavy hitters on this album. Um I remember it very well from um, when they played it the, the first time they played at Prague Power. And um, I just think that it, it's one of it's it's one of my favorite songs on the album for sure. And it's it's another one of those longer tracks that does not feel like it's as long as it is. It's it's almost an eight minute long song, but um, it really flows nicely. Um, I mean, I feel, I feel like I'm repeating myself just because like all these songs are, are so well done and uh, instrumentally and vocally. And, and, um, but this is again, like just another really, really strong song on a, on a really strong album. I think it's one of the best songs on the album. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And then, as I said, Destiny Calls, the next track, is kind of my forgotten track, if you will. And maybe it's a symptom of trying to follow Hide and Seek. I'm not sure. It's it's very proggy. There's a million different time signatures. It almost reminds me of something that you would hear off of Awake, just in terms of like the dark ambiance of the song. Uh, and it's a touch slower than some of the other tracks. Um, always found it to be the hardest to digest, especially if you're not a prog fan. I would not start with Destiny Calls, but you know, not, not a bad track. And then you get into the last ballad on the album, which is One Last Goodbye. Um, again, more acoustic guitars instead of the keyboards. Probably my second favorite of the three. And here Tommy's joined by uh, another female vocalist. I don't quite know who joins him. I'm not sure if it's his... I think actually he might be uh, Jenny Karavik. I don't know if that's his sister or what have you, but same last name. Um, really, really, really awesome ballad um, before you get into the, kind of the last two tracks of the album. Yeah, um... Destiny calls um, some of the like so, some of the solo stuff um, really gave me Dream Theater vibes. Um, I agree with you; it's not uh, not the most memorable of the songs, and, and it might just be because it's it's sandwiched in between hide and seek and and then this one last goodbye, which is like the super powerful ballad, but also a very kind of important part of the the story portion of the, uh, of the album. So, um, one last goodbye is, um, it starts out with this like really awesome, uh, acoustic guitar. And, and again, it's another one of, it's just, um, Tommy just doing what Tommy does, just really singing quite well. And yeah, Jenny is his sister. Um, she actually, um, has performed on, on, um, the Swedish, um, version of American Idol so she's kind of a you know a vocalist in her own right and um it is kind of cool to hear a little bit of a, a female voice element kind of sprinkled in here um this is a really really pretty ballad I would have liked to have uh, maybe I don't think they played this when they did their little acoustics oh no they did play this when they did their acoustic set um which was cool because they did not play it um the day before when they did their first full set. And of course they would play it with the full album set um, at their second uh, Prague power appearance. But um, yeah, good stuff. And um, it leads into um, uh, a kind of, I'm not sure if it's, if, if back in time is, um, let me see. I've given it. Yeah. So it, it's in one last goodbye where you're hearing this, the big reveal if you will, uh, of the story. So why don't you uh, talk about the uh, the plot kind of coming to a head yeah, during this, so, the end of the song. Uh, during One Last Goodbye, they try this like special surgery, which unfortunately just doesn't take for the main character who remains in the coma. And as we get into back in time, we kind of find out what precipitated the car crash that started the album. And uh, you, you hear the, the main character on the phone driving in the car, 
and it's his girlfriend or his wife or what have you that calls and, and it's raining outside. Obviously the road conditions are pretty hazardous. And she reveals that uh, his son, who was uh, obviously a major part of this story, was not actually his. And he immediately basically gasps and says, what? And crashes the car. So I'm not saying it was necessarily her fault, but maybe just not the best timing to reveal that kind of a bombshell for someone as they're driving driving their car. And then it kind of segues into the last track, which is the Black Parade, where we find out that the the, the, the main character dies and um, kind of just ties everything together, almost like Eyes of a Stranger on Operation Mindcrime, where everything just kind of comes together and, and, and just ties up the whole story. Yeah, um, I, it, it didn't really dawn on me until... Maybe I don't know if it was always because I was listening to this album kind of piecemealed, like songs here, songs there. But um, I was always it always was like I always said to myself, like, why the hell is this woman <laughs> letting them do like this, um, whatever this like uh, bone marrow transplant thing, knowing that it's not going to take? Yeah, and and, and it I, I and finally real. I, I finally realized that the whole reason was because she didn't want to admit her infidelity to anybody yes and the 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 man in the coma is the only person who would, i guess ever find out about um the truth and so um i was i just was like like i always was like so like why is this woman going through with this knowing it's not going to work and it was just this week I, I think i was actually reading something where it just said that she didn't want to um she didn't want anybody to know about uh, her affair um, and that's why she went like let them go through with it which is kind of cruel to like let <laughs> this kid go through this process or it whatever is. but and if you listen to earlier parts of the album and this is another i guess problem that i have with the the story not that i'm here to pick it apart but she sounds so upset when when he's in the coma and obviously she's upset for her son but you say to yourself if you have the if you're going to do this to someone and and basically drop the bombshell why are you so upset? It, I, I don't know. There's just like issues that I have with the emotional aspects of the story that I guess if you don't think too deeply, it kind of, it kind of flows. But the more I think about it, the more issues that I have with just the plot. But you could say the same thing about scenes from a memory. There are issues there. You could say the same thing about, you know, mind crime, all these quintessential prog, you know, story type albums. I mean, they're all just ripe with this stuff. So I try not to pay it too much mind but the black parade is a really cool song i think it's yeah. a perfect way to tie up the album and ultimately um you know that kind of just puts a bow on it and, and to me i i just every time i listen to the album and, and the last track kind of fades out i'm just saying to myself damn that's a really good album and i just i love it every time i listen to it so i, I think it was a great choice cool um yeah i i just wanted to correct myself um so one the end of one last goodbye is kind of um plot wise is where the 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 woman decides that it's time to kind of pull the plug on this guy and take him off life support and that like if the since the stem cell thing or the or the bone marrow transplant didn't work that this is that was their last ditch effort and there's this back in time track in between is like this kind of segue where it um it kind of just musically harkens back to all the songs previously and it, it's almost like this kind of seeing your life flash before your eyes i think is kind of the the imagery that they're going for and then it's at the end of this track where you hear that phone call where th she drops the bombshell on this guy and uh and then that leads right into the song black parade which this is going to be my song of the week this is one of my all-time favorite seventh wonder songs it might be my favorite um it's just such a good song and it wraps up this fantastic album in such a great way um
just another really great song showing off how good everyone in this band is. Um, I'm so glad I got, I've gotten to hear it played live um, as many times as I have. Um, just, just, <laughs> it's just such a, such a fantastic band. And, and uh, it, it's always just a pleasure to go back and listen to this album. And even more so now that I really um, feel a little bit more strongly about some of the tracks that I, I may not have paid as close attention to in the past, but uh, yeah, this is um, this is a really fantastic album start to finish. And uh, I, I would say really my only big issue with it is just, I think that the voice acting, it really kind of takes you out of the moment. And I, I think I, I made um, a comment to our, our friend Nops and I, I said that um the, the acting on this album makes the acting on Castlevania Symphony of Night look like uh, Citizen Kane. Um, <laughs> and, it's, it's, it's that it's that bad. And, and, um, and it's so funny because whenever I hear that the doctor, it reminds me of the voice acting from Super Metroid where it's like, you know, the, the last Metroid is in captivity. The galaxy is at peace. And I'm like, <laughs> I just, I can't, that takes me so out of it. Like just, I'm, I'm in the middle of Mercy Falls and now I'm thinking of Super Metroid. So um, <laughs> That should tell you everything you need to know it's, right there. It's a, it's a small complaint because the, the, the rest of the album is just so good that it's like, what's the big deal? There's not a lot of voice acting, thankfully. So, um, you know, that that's good too. It's not like it's in between every single track you have to, to listen to it. But, um, you know, it is it is what it is. I, I imagine that they probably didn't go through a very rigorous casting process or anything like that. I don't think so, the budget um, was there for that. Um, before we get to our rating for, for the album, how I'll just say for myself, when I listened to the two albums that would come after this, and that's obviously The Great Escape, which came out two years after Mercy Falls, and Tiara, which came out three years ago, I always thought both of those albums had great songs, but I never thought it was the total package um, that this particular album is. And for me, I, I always struggled with that because I always found this to be just the, the pinnacle of their, their, their success and their songwriting. And the other things I kind of just – I really had to work to get into, whereas this one just hit me right away. Do, do you find that or maybe it's just me? No, I agree. Um, the, again, like it's just some of the songs that st- – I mean – Alley Cat and Inner Enemy. Um, Inner Enemy was never really released on, on an album. It was they released it as a, a music video on YouTube, and then it would end up being a, an extra track on the um, the Welcome to Atlanta live album, along with another track, which is I think one of their best tracks, "The Promise." And I don't know if those two tracks were supposed to end up on Tiara or or, and it just didn't end up fitting the story. But those are two of the best Seventh Wonder tracks I've ever heard, and they they kind of got lost by just being tacked onto this live album and not really on a proper studio release. But um, uh, you know, the King of Whitewater is a song from Great Escape. That's one of my favorite Seventh Wonder songs. Um, I really like. I think T- I like Tiara better than Great Escape. I think it's a, a, a more complete album. But um, yeah, I, I think that there's some songs that just are, are a little bit more memorable than others. Whereas I think this is, uh, you know, mercy falls is just kind of start to finish just really strong. There's no, no, I don't know that there's any duds on the other seventh wonder albums, but there's certainly no duds on this album. I don't even think there's any songs that are just okay. Like this is just all really good stuff. Start to finish. What do you rate the album on a scale of one to 10? Uh, it's, it's 9.5 for me. Um, I, I, I don't know why I don't know. I I can't really blame the voice acting for not, it not being perfect. Um, I I think it's, I think it's close to perfect, but not quite. But, um, I mean, it's one of my all time favorite albums and, and for, for it being a prog album, I think that says a lot. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I have, uh, I feel strongly about giving it a 9.5 and I think it deserves it. I think I'm going to give it a 9.75. It is darn near close to perfect. And for a long time it was, I probably going into this week would have said it's a 10. 
Uh, but the, the, the little bit of a plot hole, if you will, in the, in the voice acting, knock it down a quarter of a point, but I'm still giving it a very, very high score. And I would put it up there. It's probably in my top 25 albums to, uh, of all time, just in terms of how much I love this album and how many times I listen to it. So a great choice. Just quickly talk about, um, the seventh wonders, uh, their last set at Prague Power when they came back a third time to, oh, to headline happy the to. festival. Yeah, be happy to. Why don't you uh, give it a start? Because I, 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 I this was uh, September 6th of 2019, so I, I remember it well. It's the last time that we were out of Prague Power, and it was they, they played a, just a really, really tight set throughout, you know, kind of spanning their whole career. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I was so happy to see them come back, and, and I feel like they really earned um, being a headliner at this festival based on their, their two, um, you know, previous uh, visits to, to Prague Power. And um, yeah, they did play, uh, uh, Tiara had just been released. So they played some songs from there. They played some songs from Mercy Falls, including uh, Hide and Seek, Tears for a Father, which is just like the crowd favorite at this point. I don't think Seventh Wonder can come to Prague Power and not play that song as everybody eats it up. And, and uh, they also played Welcome to Mercy Falls, but uh, they also um, would end up playing uh, all of The Great Escape, which is like this 30-minute... Uh, actually, did they play the whole thing or just a, a portion of it? Because it's a the, the studio version's like a 30-minute track. It's a really epic song. Um, yeah, if memory serves me, I think they actually played the whole thing because they were headlining and they only played 11 songs. So I, th- I actually think they played the whole thing. But I what I remember from this set is... It was a full headlining set, but it seemed to go by so fast. Uh, it felt like they had only been playing for about 45 minutes, but I think they played for longer than an hour and a half, actually. Yeah, yeah, it was good stuff. I, I also rem- like really remember fondly the um, the second time they came to Prague Power and played all of Mercy Falls. I was standing next to the um, the soundboard, and I just had like my my arm on the side of the soundboard, and I was just kind of like just resting it there and just watching in awe of just this this outstanding album getting played start to finish. And then, much to my surprise, after they finished Mercy Falls, they busted into Inner Enemy, which had just been released on YouTube recently. And I lost my mind. I was so happy because I, I just had been playing that song repeatedly. Um, I just liked it so much. And it was the first uh, it was the first Seventh Wonder song to, to come out in a while. So um, for them to play it live, I was just so happy. It really capped off that set in such a memorable way for me. And it's kind of cool because it didn't end up on the um, on the live album. It might be on the DVD, but I know it's not on the, the audio portion of it. So it's kind of special in that way. And, and then they would come back and uh, the next day, uh, which I thought was super memorable, they came on, they would... At 10 o'clock in the morning, uh, I remember seeing you there and being like, man, what, we must really be big fans of this band at 10 o'clock in the morning. And they came back out dressed the, dressed the same uh, because they were recording this for a DVD and they wanted it to look like, you know, like it was continuous. So um, uh, they would go on to play a bunch of songs from um, all their other albums. It was almost like this short greatest hits um set like capped off by this really cool acoustic medley um so that was a lot of fun and um i really recommend it's i'm the one thing i wish they had released this on blu-ray i think it really deserved an hd quality um video transfer which is weird because like you can watch uh, i think one of the at least one of the videos is on youtube in HD, but it was only released on DVD. Um, and if you're like a, a quality nerd like I am, um, I, I, in 2016, you kind of would hope that, um, you know, your concert releases would have Blu-ray options. And unfortunately, this one didn't. That being said, um, I recommend this live DVD highly. Um, it's It's got a, a ton of songs. Um, just and it pretty much spans their whole uh, discography at that point, and then you get to uh, brand new studio tracks as well that come with it in Inner Enemy and The Promise. So definitely, I recommend that um, quite a bit. And you just never know when they're going to play live again because of obviously uh, you know Tommy Karavik's obligations to Camelot and just other things that are going on. So we've been very very lucky in that regard. And uh, you know with that, I think it puts a nice bow on on the album. Um, so great choice, great choice, and. Um, before we get to my album, as I said, let's let's talk about some news this week. Uh, thanks to uh, 
Knops out there, one of our one of our longtime friends and listeners, he had mentioned to us that Earthside, the American progressive metal band who released a phenomenal album a couple of years ago, was coming out with a new single called um, All We Knew and Ever Loved. And I believe it's due out on August 19th. I will definitely be listening for that because these guys are one of the most underrated prog bands out there. Yeah, um, I really enjoyed – and it's not – you know, it's not really – what you would think would be my type of, of thing, but they're, um, they're a dream and static album is, is one of my favorite kind of like prog rock kind of like albums, um, has some really cool, uh, guest vocalists on it. But, um, I, and I know Knops was a huge fan of that album as well. And, and I, I, I'm sure you would probably be surprised to know that it's one of my favorite prog albums of the last 10 years or so. No so kidding. I'm really, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, hearing some new material. Yeah, as am I, and I hope it's just the first of many uh, tracks off a, a new, newly new to be released album. Uh, another thing which I thought was really interesting, Live Nation, the, the ticket outlet, is requiring proof of vaccination or negative COVID test for entry into all of their concerts, which uh, without getting into uh, too much politics here, I think that that's probably a good thing just to uh, keep everyone safe, but to keep the concerts going. And lastly, uh, Metallica. Uh, obviously, everyone knows Metallica. They are setting up a podcast on Amazon. Uh, it's going to be an eight-episode podcast where they look uh, in greater detail at the Black Album, which is kind of what we do, uh, but they'll be doing eight episodes on the one album. Uh, I'm sure they won't have nearly as many as listeners as we do, but at the same time, we wish them the best of luck, and it'll be cool if you're a fan of Metallica from the early 90s. Well, I don't expect them to have any listeners after you send out your cease and desist letter for stealing our uh, intellectual property. So, yeah, you know, if I get on that right away, maybe we can gather. Maybe we'll be multi-time platinum as well very, very soon. But uh, there you have uh, the news of the week. And with that, it is my turn to choose something uh, for for next week. And, I, and I'm going to be completely honest with you. I have had this episode blocked off on my calendar since the day we started doing this podcast. It's an anniversary of sorts. And uh, I want to give pay tribute to an album that came out 30 years ago, specifically on August 27th, 1991. And I know it's an album that is a little bit uh, outside the ballpark, if you will, but I think it's something that you're going to really appreciate. And I think it borders on the hard rock more so than the metal. And that's Pearl Jam's debut album, 10, which came out 30 years ago. I think we're going to have fun with this one. Wow. Uh, I knew we were probably going to get into the, um, to to a grunge album at some point. I was not expecting it to be so soon, but um, being that Pearl Jam is one of my all-time favorite bands, if not my favorite, um, I definitely look forward to speaking about that i mean i could record that episode now uh, <laughs> i figured I've you could but, so many times, but you, not, that, not that you need to listen to the album again but uh t- take a couple of days l- l- digest it once again and, and and really just enjoy it uh it's 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 uh, a landmark album for a number of reasons but I think that uh, being that we're celebrating its 30th anniversary this month, I thought the timing couldn't have been better. And I've literally had this circled on my calendar since then. Very cool. Yeah, I look forward to that. I, You may have a hard time getting me to shut up because um, this Pearl Jam just holds a very special place in my heart. So, uh, And that, that album especially because it was kind of a, lo- a lot of people, uh, their kind of entry entry point into um, this like iconic rock band um so yeah definitely looking forward to that and you know what we can talk a bit about um you know the the grunge scene and where you know uh kind of how it it killed metal in this country in a lot of ways and and, um i think it, it it's it's more apt to what to this podcast than i think most people would think off the bat yeah, and we, we kind of touched upon this very briefly um, with Andrew Gross from Newsday last week uh, when we were talking about Blue Murder and the kind of the timing of that album. It's funny because this album by Pearl Jam would come out just around the same time, you know, within a, within a year or so. And it's just the, you could see that the, the winds were starting to change because it sounds nothing like Blue Murder, but would ultimately kind of pave their way for rock music for the next 10 years to follow. Yeah, well, that's that's a cool choice. I uh 
I'm looking forward to that. Really. Yeah, which should be good. It should be good. But in the meantime, we hope we like what you hear. Obviously, give us a positive review and kind of just keep in touch with us because we like uh, we, we love to hear from you guys, and it helps other people find the show. So thank you very much for listening, uh, Chris. I hope you have a great week, and we'll come back next week with some Pearl Jam. Sounds good, my friend. Talk to you soon, bud. All right, take care. Well, the lies get